Thank you very much, Mike. Well, as you know, I walk from over there up to here to do one thing. I have come up here to preach. And funny enough, you guys have actually invited me to come up here and preach. What if I was to start by asking you today, what are your thoughts and feelings right now? What thoughts and feelings do you have when I stand up to preach? Or anyone for that matter. Are you excited? Are you tired? Are you ready? Or are you thinking, I can't wait for this to be finished so we can do more singing? Now, I know these may sound like silly questions. Why am I asking you this? Well, if you looked in Packy Life, you would have seen that the title for my sermon today is Why Preach? Do you know, I was very tempted to have another one. Another title that I thought of for today's sermon could have been this. That funny thing we call preaching. Why would I say that? Why would I say that preaching is a funny thing? Well, firstly, right off the bat, I remember when we did our preaching subject at college, one of our main textbooks for preaching was a book called A Prime for Preachers by Ian Watson. It's still in my office. In his opening chapter, he stated there's one big problem preachers face today. And you've got to remember, this is back in the 90s. He said the big problem preachers face today is people don't like to be preached at. And so straight away, you are getting up to do something that most people don't really like. Most people in our churches are happy to just uh, go along and be happy with life. They have an attitude of, don't tell me what to do, don't preach at me. Another funny thing about preaching is sometimes people see it more from a public speaking performance, and so they rate the speaker rather than the content of what's being said. I mean, throughout my ministry, I've heard many comments about my sermons. Garth, they're too short. Garth, they're too long. They're not deep enough. They're too deep. I didn't understand what you were saying. It didn't make sense. It didn't flow. You seemed a bit nervous. Your punctuation was incorrect. Now, as good as this may be, I think what's even harder for preachers today is there are so many professionals out there on the internet. I've even had someone come up to me and say, Garth, wasn't a bad sermon, but it wasn't as good as, and then they go on and mention some TV evangelist. Another funny thing about preaching is why do we spend time preparing sermons when most people sitting in our pews have been Christians for years? Why preach to them? How impractical is it? Isn't there a sense in where preaching to the converted would be like if I came to you and I said, look, my car's packed up. Can you give me a lift to the shops, please? And you said, oh, certainly. And we got in, we sat down, and I said, oh, okay, now before we start, what I want you to do is now you put your foot on the brake, put the key in the ignition, now turn the key. Now what you'll hear is the motor. Now as soon as you hear the motor, let go of the key. Oh, excellent. Okay, now what I want you to do is slowly keep your foot on the brake. Now slowly go to that D. See that D there? I want you to go D. Oh, excellent. Now just slowly take your, well, you get the picture. How stupid would that be for me to do that? That's just not funny. That's annoying. 
because you'd been driving for years. You can do it without even thinking. But how is that any different than preaching to Christians? I remember we used to have pastors' gatherings in Queensland. And one of our gatherings was always led by a different pastor. And one pastor came and he looked at the topic of preaching. And more importantly, he asked us as pastors, why do we preach every Sunday? When I think back to our pastors' gathering, many different answers and topics were shared that day, but sadly most of the responses were negative. Some pastors made the comment most people don't view preaching as important anymore. Some spoke on how they see walls go up in people as they stand up to preach, probably because of some of the reasons I just mentioned. Others also shared how people will say preaching is very important. Why? Or when someone preaches, it's not the preacher talking, it's God speaking to them. But you know what? I've even experienced funny things with this point. I've done sermons where I've preached grace, salvation and encouragement. And I have people come up to me and say, Garth, God really spoke to me today. They were God's words. Thank you so much. I've also done sermons on lust, on greed, on pride, on loving possessions, on money, on the importance of forgiving um, family members and loving your enemies. And do you know what comment I get then? Garth can't say that. Funny, isn't it? It seems when a sermon is nice and encouraging, that's God speaking. But when it's challenging and confronting, then that's Garth speaking. Perhaps Ian was right. People don't like to be preached to. So I guess with all this going through my head, coming to this church anew, knowing that I'm going to preach today and every week there's going to be someone preaching, I've been thinking, if there's all this confusion with preaching, is it truly hitting the mark? And if not, why is a sermon a part of almost every church service? I guess this was the key question our leader on that pastor's day really want us to get to. And you know, I was quite surprised and I never knew this. Because some churches didn't believe, some of the pastors shared how their sermons weren't hitting the mark, they weren't having the impact. And so some are taking preaching out of their service. And they were doing different things. Some said, we've replaced our sermon time with care groups. And what they would do is they'd break into small groups and they would have a Bible verse to look at and they'd be praying for one another. Another pastor said he took out sermons and he said what we did, he said we actually, for the last half an hour, 45 minutes of church, we went out and door knocked. We went out and door knocked on the service, on people's homes to introduce ourselves. And others said, well, we took it out and we now do communion every week and we try to create a much more family atmosphere. As you hear that, where do you sit? Do, we ever, do you ever ask yourselves the question, why do we have sermons in church? Is it something we just tap on in the last 30 minutes of a church service because our voices can't cope with more singing? Or is it something more? What if I said to you, one of the things I'm going to do is get the leadership team together and we're going to do something? Look, the sermon part of this service isn't meeting the mark anymore. During the sermon, people often go to the toilet in that time. Some are distracted. Some talk during, uh, during the sermon. 
others are on Facebook, and others have even fallen asleep. I've seen every one of those, by the way, from the front when I preached. And so I say, look, with all these things happening, as I mentioned before, um, how about we just stop it? What would you think? All of these funny things I've mentioned before, have those pastors that stopped it got it right? Is it better to do something else? Is it more beneficial? Well, I guess you understand now you know the reason why I chose the topic. Because today I want to look on this topic. Why have sermons or why preach? How about we pray? Father God in heaven, I thank you that um, it is exciting that Michelle and I are here. I thank you for your calling and your blessing upon our lives. And Father, I thank you for the opportunity that you've given all of us to work together and become family together and do Christ together. And Father, that is my prayer in our ministry together. I pray for this message this morning that you will only, that you'll have people hear your words. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Why preach? Well, I believe there is one major reason to preach, and that is this. We preach Jesus. To me, Jesus Christ is the only reason to preach a sermon. I'm not sure if you know, but being here for a while, you will get to know that I have a passion, and I have a passion for AFL. I'm in the right state now, aren't I? I know for the last 15 years, the people in Queensland knew this passion. When I talked about AFL, I would often refer to it as real football. I was encouraged in my time in Queensland because some of my passion rubbed off on people. Some of them did see the light and decided to follow real football. When this happened, they would often ask me, what team should I follow? I would always tell them, the team to follow is the Adelaide Crows. Why would I tell them that? Because in all honesty, they're not even close to being the best team in the league. They definitely don't win every game. I had one school teacher that got on the bandwagon and he started watching the Crows games. Every week, Bill would come up to me and say, Garth, you got me on this team. What for? What happened? What are we doing? The principal's kids started to play AFL and they hadn't picked a team. And he said, Garth, he says, you've got two weeks to convert them to the Crows or they're following Brisbane. Brisbane won two games in a row quite convincingly. The Crows lost two games in a row quite convincingly. They didn't get on the bandwagon. So why would I say to anyone, if you're going to follow AFL, follow the Crows? I would tell them to follow the Crows because that's who I'm passionate about. I know more things about the Adelaide Crows than what I do about the other teams. I know when they were born, I know how they came to life, and I was there when they played their first game. So for me, following the Crows is more important than following the AFL. I know when I worked in the Aboriginal community, they used to call me Pastor Crow because of that very reason. I am sure any one of you that follow a sport do so for one reason. You have a team or an individual that you like. If you took out that team or if you took out that person, chances are you would no longer watch the sport. Take the death of Shane Warne. How much impact did that have? That was about him, not about cricket. 
so many people got into cricket or followed cricket because of Shane Warne. Well, Jesus should have that same meaning and passion for us as Christians. Do you know we have a saying at Christmas time, Jesus is the reason for the season? Well, let me tell you, Jesus isn't just the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for everything. As you read through the Old Testament, so much of its message is pointing to Jesus. There are over 400 pathetic words in the Old Testament telling and pointing to the life of Jesus. Words written hundreds of years before his birth. In fact, I remember a lecturer at Bible college used to say to us, as you read the Bible, look for Jesus on every page. Why would he say that? Well, a lot of that answer is found in that verse that Marge read out before from Hebrews. Did you hear some of the thing about Jesus that were read out? Jesus now speaks to us directly. Jesus is the heir of all things. That means he's the receiver of all things that God has. Everything was made through him. Jesus reveals the exact reputation of God and his glory, and God now speaks to us through him. Do you know, one of my favourite authors, you'll get to know this in me as well, is Warren Worsby. Anyone here know Warren Worsby? Oh, phew. For the rest of you, start praying. Um, in his book on preaching, he states, if anyone preaches a sermon and doesn't mention Jesus Christ, then they should have preached their last sermon. Now, when he makes that comment and when I say the only reason to preach is Jesus, we're not trying to be disrespectful. I'm not saying that Jesus is the greatest in the Trinity. I'm not saying that Jesus is more important than God or the Holy Spirit. But I believe Jesus should be the focus of our lives. That's why we do what we do. Do you know, when I, uh, Michelle and I worked at a campsite, um, probably identical to Mill Valley Ranch, but our campsite was called Rearway Homestead, had horses and stuff, and actually my boss and the bosses um, over here were mentors with each other. One of my jobs there was to teach leaders how to run bunkhouse discussions. A bunkhouse discussion was something that happened every night on school holiday camps. We would have the kids there for seven days and uh, every night the leader of the bunkhouse would run them in a discussion, a Christian discussion. Do you know, I found one problem with leaders. They came with wanting to run discussions on issues. They came with said, oh, I've got all my discussions and it's all on forgiveness or it's all on boyfriend-girlfriend relationships or it's all on the internet and how dangerous it can be, or it's all on these great Bible stories that we've all learned about. Now, I know these topics have a place in our searching world, but I couldn't help but think that these leaders are missing a major point. And I used to say to them, guys, you have a wonderful opportunity where you've got these kids to share with them. Don't waste it on silly issues. Tell them about Jesus and the cross. Tell them what Jesus has done for them and how they can know him intimately. Tell them it is through knowing Jesus and have a deep, loving relationship with him that they will be able to forgive their family members, have good boyfriend-girlfriend relationships and add meaning to those Bible stories that you wanted to talk about. There is a verse that we all know, a verse that's probably been preached on a million times before. Well, let me be million and one. 
those words from John 14. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do, you do know him because you have seen me. This is such an important statement by Jesus. This is why we preach Jesus, and this is why Jesus should always be the main point of any sermon, because he is the truth. He is what life is meant to be all about, but more importantly, he is the way to God. Jesus didn't say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and only a few people get to the Father except through me. He said, no one, no one gets to the Father except through me. You know, when Jesus made that statement about himself, we read how Philip raised a question. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered him, do you not know, Philip, even after I've been with you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own, Rather, it is the Father living in me who's doing the work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Did you catch it? Did you catch Jesus' words to Philip? Anyone who sees him sees the Father. As the disciples were seeing Jesus and what he was doing, they were seeing what God was doing. As the disciples saw how Jesus treated people, the disciples were seeing how God treated people. This tells me something. As someone preaches and helps others see Jesus, they are helping them see God. If this is true, why would we waste time on anything else? If our desire as Christians is to help people see God, understand God, and have a deep relationship with God, then Jesus is the centre of that focus. He is the reason for everything. You know, if you're expecting new things from me when it comes to preaching, I'm afraid you may be disappointed. Sure, I may have an understanding on some theological issues that you've never heard before and they come out in a sermon and that's new. You may hear stories about my life that are new to you. But as far as content for a sermon goes, I have nothing new to add. I have Jesus. He is the who, the what, and the where, and the why I preach every week. When Jesus is preached, people get to know him on a much deeper and personal level. And when people get to know Jesus on a much deeper and personal level, an amazing thing happens. They get to know God the Father on a much deeper and more personal level. Encouraging others to have this deeper and personal relationship with Jesus, I believe, is what every preacher hopes to do whenever they stand up to preach. Well, I know it's true for me. I love sharing the great things Jesus has done in my life, but I do it with the hope of pointing others to Jesus. Then by doing that, hopefully, I'm pointing them to God the Father. When I preach Jesus as God the Son, my desire always is, you will see Jesus and desire a much more personal and deeper relationship with him. Then in turn, my sermons will help you see God, the Father, and have a much more deeper relationship with him. I want to say right off the bat, my sermons aren't about me 
Sometimes I'll be long. Sometimes I'll be short. But they're not about me. They're about him. My preaching Jesus the Son in my sermons, I want people to see God the Father in my sermons just the way that disciples saw God in Jesus. This helps us. When you know how Jesus sees you, guess what? You know how God sees you. When you know how Jesus forgives you, guess what? You know how God forgives you. When you know how Jesus loves you, guess what? You know how God loves you. Why would I want to be preaching on anything else? So the first thing and main thing is we preach Jesus. Secondly, we preach the word of God. I've often been invited up to preach and someone will say, now Garth is going to come and bring us the word. They say that because they're talking about bringing the word from scripture. Why do we do that? Why don't I just get up and tell you good stories, be like a good public speaker and try and impact you? No. Whatever I say must come from scripture. Why? Because firstly, it is the truth. 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25, you all know these. All men are like grass, all their glory is like the flowers of the field, the grass withers and the, glory, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And what? And this is the word that was preached to you. It doesn't matter what anyone preaches or does. If it's not from the word, it won't last. It will fail. Why? Because it's not the truth. I know in Bible college, whenever we were to form an argument or a statement or a belief or a theory, we are always taught, make sure your basis or starting point is scripture and nothing else. I remember when I did my counselling diploma, our dean of psychology, who was a Christian, would always say, do you know there's one big trap that Christian counsellors get into? And it's this. They often look at the Bible through the lenses of counselling. He warned us, never do that. Always look at counselling through the lenses of the Bible. What wise words. But they don't just apply to Christian counselling, they should apply to our whole Christian life. Anything we do or believe in our relationship with God must come from the Bible. Why? Because the Bible or the Word of God is always right. We talked a couple of weeks ago at men's Bible study on the same thing. We asked what kind of things have crept into church life over the time. Sadly, I believe churches have lost some standing because they've fallen for the trap of believing or accepting things that aren't from Scripture. I've seen it in, 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 in churches, and it's horrific. This sometimes happens because they sound good. Or people just think the church leadership are with it, so they must be right because they're the leaders and we put our trust in them. Well, another reason why we preach is because preachers must help the churches stay on track with right theology. And I see that as a job of the leadership as well as everyone sitting in the pews. We want to protect this church and make sure we are always following the truth. We want to have right theology. Everything we believe 
everything we do as a church and in our own personal lives as well must have the starting point and basis in Scripture. Not what feels good, not what society says, only what comes from Scripture. Why? Because we know when we do things that way, the way God says, then we are okay. That's why we preach the word. Secondly, we preach the word because it helps us in our lives. Romans 15.4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we may have hope. Man, talk about a great tool. Do you know people spend all kinds of money on self-help books and courses, yet listens to Paul's word. The word was written to give us teaching, endurance, encouragement, and hope. Don't you want to sign up for that? I find it surprising how many Christians get upset at preachers because of what is said or not said. Yet in the same breath they say, is a sermon, is God speaking, not them. We need to remember when anyone preaches, it is God's words to us. Martin Luther said, the devil does not mind the written word, but he's put to flight whenever it's preached out aloud. I'm sure that's because God's, when God's word is preached to us, what do we get? We get endurance, encouragement and hope. And let me tell you, they're the kind of things God wants to give you in any sermon. As God's word is preached to us, Satan is put to flight because of what the word reveals. You know, some may disagree, but I don't think the main emphasis on preaching is to preach the word, is to reveal the word of God. I don't think preaching is about revealing the word of God. I think the main point of preaching is to reveal the God of the word. And you know, how does it happen? Through Jesus. Next. We preach for enjoyment. Do you find sitting through a sermon a chore? Well, you shouldn't. It doesn't matter if it goes for five minutes or five hours. It should never be a chore. I guess that's easy for me to say when I've been going for, I don't know how long I've been going for. I could tell a joke here, but I won't talk to you. As I mentioned, ultimately, preaching is a way of God speaking to us. We should enjoy that. We are in a relationship with him. Do you know what? He enjoys it when you talk to him. Revelation says that our prayers go into this big bowl and they're joyful to him. So we should enjoy when he talks to us. That's just how relationships work. Remember, God's word is given for encouragement and hope. Surely to hear the words of encouragement and hope are enjoying, especially when they come from the creator of the universe. I hope as you listen to any sermon of mine or anyone else's for that matter, the same thing happens to you that happens to those two men on the road to Emmaus when Jesus spoke to them. What comment did they make? Oh, didn't our hearts burn within us while he spoke? Now you could say, yeah, well, no wonder. I mean, they were talking to the resurrected Lord. But remember, they didn't know that. They were just listening and enjoying to what this guy on the road was saying. I can't help but think the reasons their hearts burn within them as they listened was to do with the attitude in which they were listening. And with that in mind, let me finish today by looking at this. 
ways to get the most out of sermons. Here we go. Number one, take notes. Amen, Gary? Imagine if you were taking your children to a new school and you were told that you've made a wise choice in sending your children to our school as we are special. There's one thing about our school that sets us apart from any others in our area. And then excitingly say, oh, what's that? And their reply is, well, in our school, there is no stationery needed. Your child won't need pens or pencils or books or laptops because we don't believe in taking notes. Would you send your kids to that school? Students need to take notes. While it's true we live in a great digital age, every school, college or uni I've ever been involved in have all got one thing in common. The students all take notes. Why? They need to remember what's being said. This will help them for essays, this will help them for exams and this will help them for their life. Now I'm sorry to the school teachers among us, but surely God's message to us is more important than maths, English and science. If I take you back to our pastor's day that I spoke on before, a very common comment made by everyone was this. The sad thing about preaching is most people in our pews wouldn't remember from week to week what was said in the last sermon. If this is the case, how much of God's word is getting through? How much of God's word is being remembered? And if they don't remember it, how seriously do they take it? Do you know, I have a, I have a mentor back in... Um, in Queensland, and, and he's, a, he's an older guy than me. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great guy, been a Christian most of his life, and I was asking him about this, about sermons. I said, what, what sermons have impacted you? And he said in his life he can remember two series that really impacted him. The pastor preached on the importance of reading the Bible every day. He did a series on it. And he said he also did a series another time on what is the will of God. But he said to me, I can't tell you what was said and what points he made. I just remember the impact. But he said, Garth, I guess you challenged me because I said I can only think of two. Now, just before you start judging my mentor and my fellow pastors, is there any truth to this? I mean, what if I was to put you on the spot? What if I was to say to you about Keith's sermon last week on the tongue? Do you remember it? Did it make a difference? Did it help you during the week? What if I was to ask you to stand up and say some of the points he made? He made some points regarding the tongue and how it can come from a negative point of view and a positive point of view. Could you tell me those? Could you stand up and recall them? You guys asked me to come and preach two sermons before voting. Can you remember my two sermons? Did they impact and encourage your walk with God? Did they do any difference to your Christian life? Now, please know I'm not discouraged. I'm not defleted. I'm not saying that Keith or myself did a bad job or I'm, ju I'm judging. I struggle to remember. I had someone ask me about Keith's sermon this week, and do you know what? I couldn't remember. Do you know what I had to go and do? I had to go away and look at my notes. How often have you chatted with other Christians and asked them, what was preached at church on Sunday? What were the points? What was the main message? If you've ever done this, you will notice people very rarely remember last week's sermon. Just stop for a moment and ask yourself this question. How often do you forget? 
As I said, I do it. I'm not judging here. I do it. And let me tell you, taking notes really helps. I never used to take notes, but one of my mentors, who's a teacher, he encouraged me to take notes because he says, when you're sitting there listening, it's got to go from here to here. He says, but Garth, when you take notes, it's got to go from here to here to here and back to there. Take notes. Secondly, go over it. One great encouragement I had at my last church was every Wednesday night, a group would get together and go over my sermon. They would talk and bring out the topics and discuss them in more detail. They would ask the questions, what is God's message in this sermon for us as a church and us as individuals? Do you know, there's a church in Toowoomba that does a similar thing. After the service, they have a question and answer time that runs in a separate room for 30 minutes. Going over sermons, I believe, is important and beneficial. This is another reason to take notes. I want you to be able to challenge me. I don't get offended when someone comes up and says, I disagree with what you said. Let me tell you, I love that. I enjoy that. Why? Because I learn from that. I don't have the truth all the time. I often say I'm never wrong. I thought I was wrong once, but I made a mistake. But no. As I preach, I don't want you to believe anything I say. I want all of us to be like the Brian Jews. You all know it, Acts 17, the Berean Jews were more noble character than the Thessalonians for they received the message with great joy and eagerness and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul says was true. Let me ask you this, how can you do that if you haven't documented what I've said? Next, pray. Don't pray that the preacher will speak to you. Pray God will. Ask him to prepare your heart and mind and be willing to listen and act on what he wants to reveal to you. I read a story once of a, from a pastor and he said there was a guy in his church and it didn't matter what he preached on, the guy would always come up to the pastor and say, Pastor, great sermon. I really hope that Robert listened to this sermon today or I really hope that Beverly took it. Every week he would do exactly the same thing. Well, then came the day he was the only one in church and the pastor fought beauty. He got up and he preached on judging others. He had great points on specks of eye in your brother's eye when there's a plank in yours. He had points on the importance of not judging others and how it can discriminate you and everything like that. Once he finished, the guy come up to him and said, oh, pastor, I can't believe it. Great sermon. It's just a pity that Stephen wasn't here to hear it. I remember I used to run down one of my pastors saying he couldn't preach that well. I would often make comments on how his servants' sermons weren't relevant. Well, during one of mine and Michelle's move, I found one of her sermon books where she'd taken notes from this guy's sermon. Do you know, as I read through those notes, Michelle took good notes. You know what? Those sermons were amazing. Those sermons were really good. I realised the problem wasn't his preaching. The problem was this turkey. Because I sat in the pew with a wrong attitude and not with a willing heart. Even though he hadn't been my pastor for years, I rang him. I rang him and I apologised. 
I mentioned before that my desire in preaching is that you will see Jesus and have a desire and a much deeper personal relationship with him. That's what I pray. Well, you know what? Surely every Christian should have the same desire and prayer whenever they come to listen to a sermon. Pray that as you listen and take notes in a sermon that you will see Jesus and have a desire to have a deeper relationship with him so you get to know God the Father. You'll be happy to know the last one. Be here. If this is the way God wants to speak to you, then it's so important that you're here. I believe that it's so important that we come together here. Why? So we can be learning and hearing God's message together. So often pastors do a sermon series. I've chatted with some of my friends and they've told me how their pastor is doing a sermon series. And I've asked them what's it on and some of them sound great. And I, and I say to my friends, well, that sounds great. What's it been like? And, you know, sadly I often get, oh, well, I've only heard, the first, I've only heard two out of the first six because I haven't been in church. Do you know the best way to get the most out of a sermon series? Be here so you can hear it. Now, I know a lot of people watch online, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but for those who haven't stepped foot in this building for quite some time, let me challenge you. Make a date when you will return. Why? Because we need you. The Bible is clear that God puts his workers in his vineyard, if this is your vineyard, then God has put you here for a season and for a reason. You have something that only you can bring. We need you here. For those of you sitting here, if you know anyone in that situation, if you know that there are people out there that just watch online, don't ring them. Make it your homework this week to go and visit them and say, hey, we haven't seen you. We miss you. We need you here. We are a body. We need to be working together. Yes, preaching can be a funny thing. And yes, preaching will be a funny thing that happens here every week. But let's not lose heart. Let's listen for Jesus, his word, and enjoy his company. And let's do our part so we can get the most out of whatever he wants to say to us through whoever he uses. So when we walk out of church, we do so with endurance, encouragement and hope. May God bless you and may he keep you.